words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Jesus calls some people who have been engaging with him, fishermen and others, inviting them to follow, to embrace a new identity, a new way of seeing the world, to be his disciple. And after a short while he gathers them up a hill, overlooking their world, overlooking all that they had known of life, violence always lurking on the edge, poverty defining each day, the constant demand of upholding honour, surviving Rome, paying the masters. And gesturing at this world, he invites them to imagine a world where the most important people are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How different would this world be? This is a world where all flourish, a community that gathers around all, where the common good is held as paramount, where all are treated with honour and respect and given what they need to thrive. This is a world of generosity, justice and compassion. This was not their world. This is not our world. Jesus continued, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in the reign, in reign, in the reign of God. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Imagine this world for a moment. Jesus went on and said, when we imagine this world, when we live in this world, when we help this world come into being, then we are like the salt disk in the earth oven, helping God's rain bubble away. When we imagine this world and live in this world, we are light, living in the reign of God, living so others will see God's goodness. And he continues, Don't think that my teachings replace or reduce the law and the prophets, and don't think you can skip the details. The details count. But something more than details is also needed. You must align your whole self with what God desires. And what does God desire? The world he's just described. The world held in the Beatitudes. This is the reign of God. This is what the law and the prophets are all about. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He carries on. And he offers examples of what he's been talking about so far. 
only, only most of the time, because we keep cutting up the Bible into little bits with separate headings and chapters, and because we chop it up Sunday from Sunday, and because we hardly ever read the Sermon on the Mount in one hit, we miss it. What we hear Jesus doing is the very thing that he said he wasn't doing. We hear him offering a new law. You have heard it said, I say to you. And we hear that as, this is what the law said, but I'm offering a new law. After he just said, I'm not offering a new law. Why do we hear that? Because we keep cutting it up and forgetting about what has just been said. You have to read the whole of the Sermon on the Mount in one hit. And if you don't, you will miss it. Which is why this is the third Sunday in a row that I have begun with the Beatitudes. Because everything else that he says comes from that opening. And the world that is imagined in the Beatitudes. So he's not offering a new law. But he is offering a reading of the law based on the Beatitudes. And the world that he says is right there, right at the beginning, in the law and in the prophets. So today we have that reading from Deuteronomy, choose life. Choose life is not a reward, but in the same as Psalm 119, which is a very long psalm. We were quite lucky to only get the first eight verses. If we live the law, this is what they said, if you live the law, you will know life now. Because that's what it means to live in the presence of God. You will live in the presence of God, and you will live in the way of God. And when you live in the way of God, you will know life in its fullness now. You will create the kind of community that God desires. And so, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he is saying, well, you've heard it said, and you've stuck to the rules, but you've forgotten what it was about. You've forgotten that it's actually about creating the kind of community that God desires, where everyone will have life. So let's get back to that. Let's get back to what it's about. And so he begins with, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times. So that's a code. That means that's an honourable way of speaking of the commandments. He also says, you have heard it said. So that's just talking about one of the pieces of Deuteronomy, but not one of the commandments. So when it's, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said, that's one of the Mosaic laws. So that's what that's about. And starts right at the beginning, you shall not murder. So lots of people think murdering is bad. We all can agree on that. But... He goes on and talks about the kinds of community that lead to murder, the breakdown in the relationships and the attitudes that we bring to those breakdown of relationships. When our relationships with each other are broken, when we fail to see each other as a brother or sister, when we place our own flourishing ahead of everyone else, then our community is not as God desires. The Beatitudes are not being lived out. We open the door to exclusion, 
belittlement, violence and murder. And we end up with the kind of broken communities that we might say we live in at the moment and that we can see Paul was writing to in the Corinthians, in his letters to the Corinthians. Broken Christian communities where people had failed to see each other as brothers and sisters and were divided, trying to elevate themselves above everyone else. That's what Paul is addressing, the same issues of brokenness in the community. And then Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So, just a little aside. The thrown into hell, or the fire of hell, is not the kind of hell that Christians hold on to today. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The Gehenna was a rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem, just outside the walls, where you dumped your rubbish and carcasses, and if you were a body that was dumped there, well, that was an extremely dishonorable death, and it was constantly on fire. It was basically a rubbish dump fire. So Jesus is saying, like, that's a very bad death if you are dumped in that fire. You don't want to be dumped in that fire, you don't want that kind of dishonourable death, then don't live that way. Live an honourable life. And then he goes on to talk about what an honourable life looks like. As I read that, I was reminded of... No, it's already there. So does everyone know what this is? Probably no one knows what this is. This is the halftime show at Super Bowl 2020, which is a really big deal. Over 100 million people watched the halftime show, the Pepsi halftime show, uh, either live at the ground. Super Bowl is the culmination of the American football season. Uh, so when you win the Super Bowl, you are the champions. And uh, the artists don't get paid to do this. They do it for nothing. So all their costs are covered, but they do it for nothing because there's a 100 million audience and they can't turn that down and this year was huge because it is the first time that Latino artists headlined it they've had Latino artists in there before but they've never headlined it they've been part of a band backup singers etc this time they had four two Latino women headlining and two Spanish-speaking rappers uh, joining in with them uh, and by the, the original accounts were uh, that they made history and uh, that it was jaw-dropping and energetic, uh, a Latina-powered Super Bowl halftime show that actually outshone the game. And several headlines said Shakira, so Shakira and Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, and Several headlines says Shakira won the Super Bowl. Don't forget about the game, it was pretty boring. Kansas City won, but the halftime show was amazing. Some of the reports talked about how this Colombian and Puerto Rican born artists spotlighted some of their biggest hits and uh, 
both in t terms of the instruments they played and their impeccable dance moves. Uh, and they also used the show to, to kind of send some not so subtle political messages. Uh, Jennifer Lopez's daughter, Emmy, joined her on stage and sang Born in the USA while she was starting into her 1990 hit, Let's Get Loud. Just reminding a whole lot of white Americans that actually Hispanics, most of them, well, many of their families have lived in the USA longer than some of the white people. And I guess this, they're a big, big percentage of the population in America, about 18 or 19 percent. And they were born there, born in the USA. And while she sang Let's Get Loud, uh, spotlights came up on the dark patches on the field where they had children in cages, neon cages, just to remind people what was going on just down the road at the southern border. So it was a political as well as a very energetic performance. Latino people across America and the world were effusive, loving to see two of their great idols and two of the biggest Latino hip-hop artists singing Spanish up there on the stage, center place, center place, their culture, center place. It, they saw the Latino roots incorporated into the choreography with the Afro-Colombian Chimpeta and the Puerto Rican Salsa danced by those artists and the huge backup artists on stage. And they talked about being so proud and how beautiful it was and how important and significant. And in fact, there was a New Zealand choreographer who choreographed all of Jennifer Lopez's moves, so we have a new, little New Zealand connection in there as well. But not everyone was happy. So some of the TV reports described it as provocative. One Latino writer living in a mostly white, mostly liberal, upper middle class area was surprised when some of her neighbours started posting on social media about how uncomfortable they were with the show. I mean, there were lots of crotch shots, gyrating hips, skimpy clothes. What were these 50 and 43 year old mums thinking? acting in that way. This was a family show. What were they going to tell their children? And that discomfort picked up steam. Uncomfortable became outrage. Comments like disgusting and trashy and slutty, corrupting their children, tempting their happily married men out of their marriage beds. Is that what Jesus was talking about in this passage? Women tempting men with their, their gyrating hips and skimpy clothes. One uber Christian commentator thought so. It's a pretty small time player, but trying to gain some traction on this to get some uh, more listeners to his podcast. And in his podcast, he invited lawyers to contact him because he wanted to sue J-Lo and Shakira and the National Football League and the television network because they had put these lusty thoughts into his head and he was now going to hell. That's what Jesus said in the passage we just said. It was their fault that he was thinking these thoughts. And we might smile, but actually that's exactly how this passage is often read. And we can see that in rape trials where they might not refer to this passage but the defence is often 
I know she said no, but look at how she was dressed and she's had sex before. So clearly, she put these thoughts into my client's head. All my poor client was doing was acting out what she had fed him in the first place. It's her fault for looking like that. And you would be surprised how often that defence is used and how successful it is still in this country and around the world. It's her fault that I thought those thoughts. Is that what Jesus was talking about? Well, I think if we put that passage back in the context of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, it is the exact opposite to what Jesus was talking about. That actually Jesus wanted us to take responsibility for our own thoughts and to live in a way that allowed others to thrive. He goes on to talk about divorce, which was a sticky issue. When you have polygamous marriages, when you get tired of your wife, well, you just get another one if you can afford it. And they just have to work out how to live together. But if you're only allowed one wife, which is what happens after the Greek arrive in the Middle East, kind of monogamy becomes the norm, when you get tired of your wife, what are you going to do? Suck it up or divorce her. And divorce was pretty easy. This is what you had to say. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And then you write out a piece of paper that says, I divorce you, and it's done. Divorced. And that woman can't go home because she's brought disgrace on her family. She can't live in that house anymore. So where is she going? Divorce was catastrophic for women. Unless you had your own resources, you ended up on the streets, a prostitute, struggling to survive. So when Jesus says no divorce, he's actually protecting women. He is saying to the men, be responsible for your own thoughts and act in a way that allows everyone to thrive. So when we apply it back to this, he's saying to men, and now men and women, be responsible for your own thoughts. You don't have to think lusty thoughts when you see these two on stage. There are lots of other ways we can respond to this. And some of the ways that people responded to this was with joy. And one of the sports commentators said, when these two women, you can keep it up there, when these two women came on stage, he said to his children, let's get up and dance. And they spent 15 minutes having the most amazing dance time as they enjoyed everything, the culture, the music, the dance moves. He said, who knew we could dance that well? Amazing. So we have an option when we have these kind of experiences and how we respond. So rather than blaming the other person, Jesus is saying, take responsibility. The same sports commentator made a very interesting point about the uncomfortable conversations we should have with our children. He said, the halftime music show wasn't where the uncomfortable talk should be. I'm a sports commentator. I make a living out of commenting on football in particular. I love the game. But my uncomfortable conversation is with my sons. I love this game. I'd like you to love this game. But please, dear God, never play it. This is a dangerous game. 
the people who play it have a very good chance of getting head injuries and permanent brain injuries. Too many of these athletes, their lives are ruined because they have played this game. The uncomfortable conversation is, what is this game doing to the athletes? Don't play it. That's from somebody who makes a living out of commenting on that game. So he thought people were getting all strung out about the wrong thing. So when we read these passages from Jesus, how do we read them? Do we read them as a set of rules? Do we set, read them as a new set of rules? Do we read them as a set of rules we have to obey? That if somebody helps, if we think that somebody is leading us astray, it's their fault and we can blame them? Or do we hear them as an invitation to take responsibility for our own thoughts, our own reactions, and to live in a way that builds our community, that allows us to see all those in our community as our brothers and sisters, and to treat them with the same respect and care we would treat our brothers and sisters, and to help create the kind of community, this kind of society, where all people can thrive. What do you think? How do you hear what Jesus is saying this morning? I invite you to turn around and have a conversation with those who are sitting there for a couple of minutes and then we'll have our prayers.